2: Alex, do you have any updates for the listeners on your quest to become Alex Rodriguez's
3: protege? You know, so I did. I looked into this the other day because I was curious to see if I could find what you were talking about, his, uh, his professional development seminars, whatever they are. And I was having trouble actually tracking anything down. That's because I just made them up.
2: Are you serious? Well, like not, I didn't actually make them up out of thin air. It was like something that I kind of like thought that he did. You know, like I, that was like
3: 65% sure that this was a service that he offered. Right. Well, he does do speaking engagements. Okay. So I think that we could reach out and book him with some of that sweet, sweet Patreon money for our own personal professional development seminar.
2: Well, that's a question like would he do a speaking engagement as a podcast appearance for everyone in the world to hear or is this sort of like a closed door event like Hillary Clinton at Goldman Sachs? (laughs) That's exactly what it's like. (laughs) I think it is. (laughs) He's not just going to give away the goods on wax. You're you're right. Um, The reason that I ask is because Alex Rodriguez's finances are in the news once more. And I was hoping that maybe you had become his protege and you could sort of shed light on this story for us.
3: Unfortunately, he keeps me away from the numbers. Mm. I don't really I don't really get to see that see that side of things. Um so when it all goes belly up, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be finding out when you do. I'm gonna be <laughs> I'm gonna be on, on indeed.com. Like, wow. Sure. That's it's how quickly things change. Well he didn't keep
2: Josh Cosman of the New York Post away from the numbers. According to Josh Cosman of the New York Post, uh Alex Rodriguez only paid for 7% of the first 20% that he and Mark Lohr invested in the Minnesota Timberwolves. The second 20% is due in September. And our man A-Rod is again short on liquid money, this reporting says. He's not liquid enough. He's making mistake number one, Alex. Gotta have that cash on hand, cash (laughs) under the mattress. Deal flow. Should we be concerned about him? I don't know. So here's why I wanted to talk about this. Hasn't he been through enough? Mm Mm-hmm and J-Lo break and that's part of this, is the breakup and him trying to maneuver his assets along with Jennifer Lopez is making him slightly less liquid. So he already lost out on the New York Mets, his favorite team growing up because of Keith Hernandez. He is about to be passed by Albert Pujols. He's four home runs shy of 700. He's posting sweaty workout videos three times a day. Hasn't this man been through enough? Just let him have the Minnesota Timberwolves. This is funny money anyway. Just give it to him. Just give them to him. Right. You can see how much he enjoys it, right? Like, it would make him feel so good. The smile on his face as he holds this Wilson basketball and this stock photo that appears of him and Mark Lore holding basketballs every time that there's a story (laughs) written about the Minnesota Timberwolves.
3: He just looks so happy in a way that we haven't seen him in quite a while. Do we know the sum that he needs to, to raise? Like, do we know what that 20% chunk looks like? It's 20% of one point five billion.
2: So like three hundred million, but he only needs to have half of that. Although he didn't pay half of the first twenty percent. So I think he has to make up the, the difference. So I think he's like kinda on the hook for like mm, 450 million right now, which is uh, it's a lot. That's, that is a lot. He doesn't have that. According to you as his are you speaking in are you speaking in your capacity as his pro <laughs> off the record <laughs> or are you speaking in your capacity as a host of tipping pitches podcast? I've not seen it in his wallet. <laughs> so friend of the show, frequent tipping pitches questioner Becca asked in the slack, how many at- bats would it take him to come back and reach the 700 home run mark? He's four shy. Albert Pujols is right on his tail. Do you think that his quest to come back? At this age, after all this time and all these stories and all of his time in the booth at ESPN and his time on the K-Rodcast and his comments in the Derek Jeter documentary and everything that's happened since he retired, sort of unceremoniously in the middle of a baseball season, do you think that that could garner him $450 million to make up this debt? Him hitting four home runs. Like, could he
3: parlay that yes. into some sort, of, some sort of deal? I mean, he did sign the best contract in baseball history. That's true. I think he might he might struggle to get four hundred fifty million out of that. Yeah, I think here's the thing to to address back his question. I think he could do it. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Like I think he can can still hit dead red, I believe it. If you if you gave him a month, I think you'd get there. He obviously he had petered off uh, at the end of his Yankees career. He had. He had hit nine. I like that. Petered off. That's a new one. And Petered out. Like you combine Petered out and tapered off. I love it. He Petered off. <laughs> nine home runs in his in final season? Games. In games. Yeah, in 65 games. Oh my
2: God. That's more than I would have guessed. Nine home runs in 65 games. Like he could DH in the league right now with some of these, yeah, some and, of these and, hitters and hit that 20. I
3: see. Yeah. But that is six years ago, right? The game has changed. A Rod himself has changed. Right. But again, like you said, we've been seeing him at the gym day in and day out. He's not putting in that work for nothing. He's trying to get himself that slow-pitch softball uh,
2: contract. To answer Becca's question, I think he could do it in 400 played appearances. One home run for every 100 played appearances. Yeah.
3: Do you think that's low or high? I think that's high. I think he could do it in less. I think he could do it in like 250. 250? Jeez. James
2: McCann could never. Can A-Rod catch? (laughs) Just wondering, you know, just one Mets fan wondering aloud. Aside from catching strays from the New York Post about his (laughs) his liquidity. (laughs) Okay, we have an exciting podcast coming up for you. We talked for a long time with Eugene Friedman, who is a mainstay on baseball and labor Twitter for his actual legally backed up opinions. He is a labor lawyer. Um, who has a great follow about CBA matters and minor league unionization matters. We focus primarily on the minor league unionization news. We also talked with Allison McCaig, who is one of the hosts of A Pot of Their Own, which is a New York Mets podcast, part of the Amazing Avenue SB Nation suite of Mets podcasts. I'm a big fan of that show. We talked to Allison about their dollars for dingers drive. It's another great conversation. We're going to answer a couple more listener questions. Maybe we'll talk about the MVP. I don't really know. I don't know if people need to hear more people talking about the MVP. But before we do all of that exciting stuff, I am Bobby Wagner. I am Alex Basley, And you are listening to Tipping Pitches. (music) All right. Thank you to our new patrons from this past week, Emily and Oscar. Alex, we received an important question in the Slack a few weeks ago now at this point, but we haven't answered questions much recently in the last two episodes. We've had a lot going on. This question comes from Dan, who is a big Mets fan, active member of the Slack. Dan asked, how much of a deal breaker is your baseball life? Now, I thought this was a pertinent question for us to answer on this episode since we're recording it about... uh, 16 hours after I attended the Mets' worst game of the season, a 7-1 loss to the bottom of the barrel, Washington Nationals, a five-run top of the ninth inning, and I, needless to say, was not in a good mood after that performance. I attended that game with my partner, and so I thought maybe it was a fruitful thing to talk about. How much of a deal-breaker is your baseball life? <laughs> this question spurred more conversation in the Slack than just, a, just about anything that has happened in the baseball world outside of mind of the unionization. So uh, I turn it to you first. Dan el- elaborates, if someone won't participate in or appreciate your baseball life, are they less likely to be in your life? Has your dedicated fandom caused a divide in any relationships, romantic or otherwise, or stopped one from growing further?
3: <laughs> Luckily, I've never been in a position where I've had to choose mm-hmm. between a, a person I love and... And a, a mid-August A's game against the Rangers. Mm-hmm. I suppose it, the the question kind of depends on some of those those things that Dan included at the end of his question, right? Like, I yeah, does the person need to actively participate in my baseball fandom? It'd be nice, but uh, is is that going to be the deal breaker? No. Does the person actively disparage my <laughs> uh, my baseball fandom? That might be a bit of an issue. But, 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 you know, I, I have things as my, as does my partner that, uh, interest one of us more than the other. Mm -hmm. Um, like I do think there's a deal breaker element in there, you know, and I would, I think I would try and kind of lay the groundwork for sussing that out very early on, you know, I, my, my, uh, first date with my, partner was technically a, a Yankees game. Um, is that true? That's so sweet. I didn't know that. Yeah, it was Yankees A's. I actually probably did know that and
2: I just forgot it because that was a period of time in my life where I just wasn't remembering dark, that many things. Dark days.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh-huh. like that felt like a good omen. You know, if you, can, if you can float that and the person does not run the other direction,
2: it feels like you're in good hands. The reason I wanted to answer Dan's question is because honestly, so I agree with what you're saying. There's probably a deal breaker element if the person just completely disregards your love for baseball because let's face it, baseball is a huge part of our lives. As it is probably a huge part of most of the people listening to this podcast lives. But more likely my baseball fandom is the deal breaker for the other person. <laughs> so right, yeah. <laughs> it's not on them. It's most likely on me, which I think is a a useful reminder as we head into the late days of the regular season, as we head into a potential Mets playoff run in October, it's a useful reminder for me to speak out loud that I, I might be breaking some deals with people in my life by my, via my behavior when the Mets make the
3: playoffs. We've never done this podcast right. when the Mets have been in the playoffs. Yeah, and let me tell you, that's a, that's a time to be around Bobby. <laughs> uh, you so will I- see a side of him you've never seen before. Suffice to say, not many people will be seeing that. We will not be doing any live
2: streams during the Mets playoff run in October of Mets games. That's We can That's do other games.
3: Said.
2: We can do other games, but I don't think I want to be in front of a computer. I don't think I can stay in front of a computer for that long. Honestly. No, big, big pacing energy. Big pacing energy. We needed, we just needed to answer Dan's question because a lot of people were <laughs> wearing their hearts on their sleeves in the slack. <laughs> About how much of a deal breaker their
3: personal baseball fandom has been in their lives, which i which I think kind of answers the question itself, the fact yeah. that people have such strong opinions about it uh
2: if you're listening to this and you're not in the slack or you just ha- happen to not see this, write in call in.
3: let us know how much of a deal breaker your baseball fandom is for you um, i know have you have you had any relationships end due to baseball to your your baseball fandom? Uh, or, or lack thereof. I'm, I'm really curious. Baseball has to have broken some people's hearts. That's a good question.
2: Have you chosen not to become friends with a person because of their opinions towards baseball? I think most of the time I just roll my eyes. Whenever I meet someone new and they're like, oh, you like baseball? I'm like, all right, congratulations. Yeah. Well, you seem really cool, thanks. <laughs> but have you had that experience where you chose not to become friends with someone because of
3: baseball? I think similarly. I I haven't actively not become their their friend. I just might not address the issue for fear <laughs> of getting worked up. <laughs> I mean, there are people non-confrontational. Whom, Alex strikes again. That's that's right. That's right. There are people with whom I I maybe won't talk about baseball extensively mm-hmm. because I, I'm worried about their where their opinions might end up. Yeah. That's the closest thing I'm like, it's kind of like, you know, we don't talk about politics at the (laughs) at the dinner table. We don't talk about how much Aaron Judge is going to make in the offseason. I don't really want to know if you think he should give the Yankees a hometown discount. I do find it sort of hard to
2: start conversations with people who find out that I like baseball for the first time. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, you like baseball. And then where do you go from there? Because. It strikes me as the most uh, overbearing thing in the entire world for me to try to explain what this podcast is to people who don't know about
3: mm-hmm. it. So, right. I'm like I'm like I guess technically yeah I like baseball, but here's the jib. Yeah. Here's how it really works. It's
2: more than that. <laughs> it's more than that. I hate it but I love it, but I'm critical of it because I love it. It's ruined my life, but it's also made my life what it is.
3: So, where do you want to start? It's a problematic family member, right? You're like, Look, yeah. I does he do everything right? Does he always say the right things? No, but but I love him anyway, and uh, and I'm Where trying to make him be a better person. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Well,
2: um, speaking of baseball, improving and trying to make it a better place in person, I guess if if we're talking about it as though it's a human. Uh, we're gonna go to our conversation with Allison McCabe to talk about Dollars for Dingers. Uh, now, if you're listening to this and you don't know about Dollars for Dingers already, we'll get into a little bit in the conversation with Allison. But please make sure to check out the links in the description below, or go find Allison on social media and Twitter to see where you can donate for this this great fundraiser. That's very interactive and cool, and a fun way to to bring not just Mets fans but all baseball fans together.
3: Don't forget to come and pick up your hood don't leave no pieces, you need to hurry and pick okay. up your Okay, we are now
2: joined by Allison McCaig of A Pot of Their Own. Allison, hello, welcome to Tipping Pitches.
0: Hi, thanks for having me, guys.
2: Um, Allison, you're here to talk about Dollars for Dingers, which is a fundraiser you guys have been doing for how long now?
0: This is the fourth annual Dollars okay. for Dingers, so since 2019.
2: Dollars for Dingers for folks who don't know who aren't fans of a part of their own, which is a wonderful podcast that you should listen to if you like the New York Mets or you just like anything in the baseball world. Um, it's a fundraiser for that raises money for every Mets home run hit and donates that money to the domestic violence National Domestic Violence Hotline. Um, so we wanted to have you on to talk about that and to talk about how this idea even started and how much it's grown since it started. But of course, we just want to hear... We also want to talk about the Mets because the Mets, we're, we're Mets sickos here now, too, even though currently as we record this, our uh, Twitter is comma a Yankees podcast. But Tipping
0: pitches a Yankees podcast. It's really painful, I saw that. actually. I was like, what bet did you guys lose? Yeah,
2: <laughs> a really embarrassing public bet on the podcast. Um, but tell us about tell us about how Dollar Finger started.
0: Sure. Um, so a pod of their own is, um, part of the amazing Avenue, uh, SB nation site. Um, and we are the podcast, uh, as part of that podcast network, that's run entirely by women. Um, it's myself and two other women who host the show, um, together. Um, and so we kind of, when Amazon avenue like expanded out its podcasting efforts from just having one podcast to having a whole bunch of them um we were sort of the podcast that was like the women-led podcast and we were also the one who talks about like social justice issues in baseball and so obviously a big cause that's been close to our heart for a long time that we've like yelled into the void about on our podcast for a long time is um is domestic violence uh and you know the issue that it is in baseball and mlb's like inability to deal with it um not just mlb obviously like all sports leagues fall short in this regard but uh we particularly care about mlb on our podcast um so we we just we felt powerless for a long time we were like how how much good are we doing just really just like screaming into the icelandic void about this on our podcast like it makes us it's cathartic it makes makes us feel better but like is it really making any material difference we really want to do something more Um, So that's kind of how Dollars for Dingers came about. It started in the 2019 season and it has grown beyond my wildest imagination um, to be something that we look forward to every single year. And it just gets bigger and bigger every year. To date, we've raised over twenty five thousand dollars for the National Domestic Violence Hotline um, between all the years that we've done it. Um, and so it's just been really, really humbling to see the outpouring of support and every year the number of pledges growing um and people getting the word out it's just been it's been really awesome um and so we're really excited to make this one even bigger this year <laughs>
3: <laughs> so this culminates also in a, an event at city field as well, right? Can you kind of talk a little bit um about that and the 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 process of of this whole kind of drive leading up to that that uh that date at City Field?
0: Yeah. Um, so obviously the the crux of the fundraiser is as you guys already said, it's during the month of September. We collect pledges for every Mets Home Run dur- hit during that month. So you can say like $2 per Mets Home Run. And we have a, a spreadsheet where people put their pledges in. And obviously, like that raises a ton of funds. Um, but in 2019, we also had an in-person event at McKeller. At the time it was McKeller at City field um and we had a bunch of awesome prizes donated to us for the fundraiser including from the mets themselves donated memorabilia to us and that was such a huge success um and we had so much fun um that we decided to make that an every year thing um so sometime during the fundraiser usually towards the end although this year with the way the mets schedule is and like when their home games are um it's kind of in the middle a little yeah. bit but we ch- during the second half of september we always have this uh fundraiser or uh, this in-person event. Uh, Sadly, in 2020, we could not have an in-person event because of the pandemic. Um, But in 2021, we returned in person. But still, sadly, we could not have it at City Field because there was no um brewery in that space uh where McKeller used to be, McKeller closed down during the pandemic, which we were devastated about. So we did have it at Catch and Astoria and it was still awesome. Uh, but it was like hard to get like the foot traffic the way that you get at City Field, where there's already like a built-in like huge crux of Mets fans, many of which don't know that this is happening and we'll just like walk in and be like oh hey prizes neat yeah. and we'll th- throw money our way um so we're really excited to be back at city field this year um so the ebbs has moved into the mckellar space where mckellar used to be so now it's ebbs um and we will be having it there at four o'clock in the afternoon on september 17th which is saturday the nets are playing the pirates that day it's the gary um bobblehead for the gary keith and ron uh three-headed bobblehead uh mm-hmm. the three-part bobblehead it's the Gary Cohen one, uh, so we hope that there will be a very big crowd for that um, already, without uh, us having to entice addition, additional people to come. Uh, but we really, really hope to see as many people there as possible. We will have so, so many awesome prizes, including memorabil- signed memorabilia from the Mets. We, we have not, we cannot yet reveal which players, but in the past <laughs> we've gotten Degrom signed baseballs, Nimo signed bat, so. Like there will be cool stuff. Uh, we also have t-shirts from various, uh, we have breaking tea uh, gift cards uh, for those of you who know breaking tea and uh, they, they're they working with athlete logos now. So you could get yourself a nice neon tea from that gift card. Um, Ebbs themselves will be donating a prize pack of beer and swag. Um, so and there will be food specials and beer specials, 15 percent off uh, at EBS for anyone who is coming for our fundraiser. So uh, it should be a really good time uh, and it should raise a lot of additional money for the National Domestic Violence Hotline.
2: Judging by the uh, the crowd and the uh, promptness of the crowd during the Ron Darling bobblehead game, which Alex and I attended just a couple of weeks ago, there will be no shortage of Mets fans there early <laughs> with uh, <laughs> with some time to spare for that baseball game. Uh, that It's quite intense, the yeah. the desire for this bobblehead. So hopefully and you can. And I
0: will say that this is like, I hate to reveal this to such a big audience. I want to like <laughs> keep this secret close holds that only my friends and I know about it. But I'm going to do it because I think think it'll help our fundraiser a lot i will say that the right field gate which is the closest gate to where ebbs is on ebbs is on Seaver way in the old mckeller space mm-hmm. um that is the best place to go get your bobbleheads where there's no line
2: wow you in. heard oh, it here first Oh my god you heard it live reveal on tipping pitches
0: no the, the rotunda is always a mess because obviously it's the main entrance to get in so people are gathered around the home run apple the Seaver statue all that huge crowds. And it's also right where the seven train gets off. So all the people Mm -hmm. from the subway are going straight to the rotunda. But if you go around and the left field gate is like right next to the parking lot. So all the people who've driven are going to the left field gate. Mm -hmm. The right field gate is kind of tucked behind. You have to like walk all the way around the stadium. So not a lot of people go there. So if you want to get a bobblehead and you don't want to wait in as long of a line, it's right next to Ebb. So you can hit up our event at four go right into the right field game, get a bobble. Wow.
3: An amazing sales pitch. And it's just an amazing sales pitch. Yeah. in like insider trading here on. I I know.
0: I know. I hate um, to reveal my inside <laughs> secrets, but it's, it's I love worth how you it. said to such
3: it. a to such a large
2: audience. Like we're, you know, we're like we're broadcasting live to millions right now. To millions
0: couple, of
2: Mets A couple <laughs> of thousand of the most passionate people about baseball and labor on planet
3: Earth. <laughs> um I first of all, I think it's really awesome that a lot of local organizations have gotten on board with this. Um I think it's really cool that you've been able to rally support around this cause. Um, and I think it's really cool and also interesting that the the Mets have decided to participate in this as well, right? Yeah. The Mets obviously being one of the 30 Major League Baseball teams. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, famously. And famously. Sometimes not, really. Right. It, yeah, it depends on the year. Sometimes um, by name only. But that that strikes me as really kind of interesting given that a lot of times the teams are the ones who are the problems, right? When it comes to dealing with issues surrounding domestic violence as it pertains to players and that sort of thing. What was your kind of guy's reaction when that uh, the prospect of that sort of partnership first bubbled up? Um, Was there any like... No, absolutely not. I mean, I can't, I can't imagine like you, you can't look for a better partner than, than that, but I'm curious how you guys felt about that.
0: Right. And, and, you know, the Mets are not innocent of this. Like mm-hmm. they brought back Jose Reyes after they knew uh, <laughs> that he was an abuser. Um, mm-hmm. And that was like, that was kind of one of the biggest, like things that we talked about on our podcast that sort of led to this. That was like mm-hmm. a huge, like fire in our belly driver was how upset we were at the mess for bringing back Jose Reyes, knowing that he was an abuser. Um, And it was something
2: that lasted so long. Like it was right in front of everyone's face for so long. And it was just a mistake from the very beginning.
0: Yep. And you know, and they, they put him out there right next to David Wright on David Wright's last game. He is in fact coming to old timers day. So it's not like, it's not like they remain. It's not like the new regime has completely turned over a new leaf in this regard. So yeah, it was a struggle. Um, But I think that, you know, with the new regime, the Mets are making a lot of progress, obviously, with Jared Porter and that whole mess. um, I think they've since uh, taken seriously the bad reputation that they have when it comes to sexism and bad relations with women in their workplace. Um, You know, we recently had Elizabeth Ben on our podcast not too long ago, um, and she talked a lot about how they're really working to change the culture, and she's a big part of that um, in their front office. Um, So I like to think that we can be a part of that change ourselves and like, you know, uh, them sort of like associating themselves with this fundraiser and this cause.
2: Yeah. And I mean, I think it's what makes it so hard to talk about these things sometimes is that None of these organizations in Major League Baseball certainly as as a whole are like not really monoliths. You know, like right. there there can be like 95% of the organization trying to do the right thing and then the 5% of people who have the ability to sign Jose Reyes and bring him back yep. are undercutting a lot of the great work that the rest of the organization is doing. And so, you know, it's it's I think encouraging to see the willing participation in something that, that you guys are organizing and trying to do for good. Um <laughs> we we were talking before the podcast started about the creative donations that people have decided to make. Do you have any favorite ones? So, of course, you can donate a dollar amount of your choosing per home run for September, but you can also donate for more obscure occurrences within the world of the New York Mets. Do you have any of uh, some favorites or examples for for people if they want to yeah, get more creative oh with it? Oh, my
0: goodness. Oh, my goodness. There have been so many already. Um, I really love all the people that are doing hit by pitches, which is like a thing that's, I think <laughs> new this year, it's, like
2: it's kind of like the theme of the year.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't think that that was like an, uh, an extra donation in any past year. Like they would do, you know, like there are typical ones like DeGrom strikeouts is a big one and things like that. And people will choose specific players this year. I would say that the most popular specific player dinger choices are, um, Daniel Vogelbach and Mark Hanna. Wow. Uh, lots of people are donating extra money for Vogelbach dingers and Canna dingers. A real representative
2: um, sample of the part of their own fan base, I think. <laughs> I <probably>. was
0: going <laughs> to say, I think so. I think so. Um, and it's kind of like for two different reasons, those two guys, mm-hmm. right? I feel like Mark Canna is the most like in the spirit of the podcast. It's like the people who listen to the podcast are most likely like Mark Hanna is probably one of their favorite players. Whereas yeah. Daniel Vogelbach, it's just like, we want to see the beefy boy hit dingers.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, there's, there's someone on here who's donating uh, $2.70, a penny per pound for each Daniel Vogelbach.
0: That is our lovely uh, podcast producer, Brian Salvatore. Um, and it's it's great. Um, I love seeing the, uh, the creativity that people bring. Um, Linda Surovich, fellow co-host, is donating for every Edwin Diaz narco and more <laughs> money when Timmy Trumpet shows up live, which is happening. It's not happening during September. So we had like a very hearty internal debate about whether that counts, it should be and we decided that it counts half. So she is donating extra because Timmy Trumpet is coming, but it's not during September, technically during the fundraiser. But um, this year, another new thing um, that I love to see uh, that hasn't been present on past uh, donations is extra for um, playoff related things like that's winning the NL East. Mets winning the World Series, how far they advance in the playoffs, how many dingers they hit in the playoffs, all those things, which are technically after September, but I will certainly allow it because <laughs> it is, um, that is something that hasn't really happened in the past. Uh, a couple of times we had, you know, folks like th- like throw in like $100 if the Mets win the World Series because you know it is 2021 Mets and we yeah. know by September that they're not winning the World Series <laughs> uh but this year those donations are more numerous and they are serious because yeah. it might happen
3: I yeah. know yeah, lot, lots in here about um about Braves losses as well <laughs> which I <laughs> appreciate
0: <laughs> Someone um someone donated for if uh if the Mets beat Spencer Strider in the final <laughs> uh series of the year that's I was just really going to say extra. if it weren't
2: if it weren't so much work for you, a really good donation would be like every time the Mets get a hit that's under eighty miles per hour exit velocity because of how <laughs> upset the Braves fans have been about their soft contact hits.
0: Every time a Braves fan tweets uh, screenshots of baseball, of uh, baseball savant pages of the New York Mets exit velocities, <laughs> literally,
2: yes, that would be doubly satisfying, doubly satisfying. The
0: very lucky New York Mets.
2: Um, well. I hope that our listeners will go check it out. Dollars for Dingers, if you live in New York, I hope, and you are able to get out to the the nine seventeen game. I'm sure it'll be really, really fun. Um, Allison, is there anything else that you want people to know about this where they can find it most easily? We'll, of course, link everything in the description for people to click straight to from their podcast app, but if they are driving right now and want to get back to it later. What's the best way to find it?
0: Yeah, so it's currently the the link to our um, spreadsheet is currently the pinned tweet on the a pod of their own Twitter account. So if you go to at a pod of their own and you go to our pin tweet, that is uh, where you can find a link to the spreadsheet. Um, but if you are not like a person who is who's on Twitter, which God bless you, log off forever. <laughs> I wish I could um if you're not really a person who's on Twitter or like not wanting to find it that way and you want to make a pledge and you like aren't familiar with like Google spreadsheets or aren't comfortable using it, you can always email us a a dot a pod of their own at gmail dot com if you email us your uh pledge i'll put it I can put it in the spreadsheet for you.
3: That's awesome um before we let you go, I'm curious. Because this is a really uh, awesome project and very easily replicable. Uh, Have you ever had conversations with, um, I guess, other fans from other fan bases or anything um, who might be interested in kind of doing the same thing? Because again, like, like you said, it's a, it's a spreadsheet that, you know, you can I mean, it's a lot of work to put together, but it doesn't require any special infrastructure or anything nope. like that to set up.
0: Any enterprising person with yeah. a certain <laughs> a reasonable amount of time can replicate this spreadsheet yeah. pretty easily. Um, we have in the past, uh, I believe it was the first year we did the fundraiser. Actually, we partnered with um, Cup of Cubby Blue, which is the bleed Cubby Blue um, uh, uh podcast also run by women Sarah Sanchez uh shout out to Sarah she's awesome um so Cubs fans have been huge uh for us they uh we partnered with them the very first year and we sort of had dueling spreadsheets where like the Cubs <laughs> fans were donating uh in favor of cup of cubby blue and we were dueling because we were seeing which team was going to hit yeah. more home runs in September that year the Mets won handily just because you know I mean the 2019 Mets did not make the playoffs but the 2019 Mets hit a ton of dingers um uh, more so than i that was the biggest dinger year as far as like the the dollar amount i mean we've we've raised more money as as time has gone on because more people have found out about it which is great so we've got more pledges but as far as like the most home runs hit during the month of september 2019 mets the og still king <laughs>
2: um
0: still king but we'll see if the 2022 mets can beat them out who knows i mean part of that is that pete alonso was like breaking the rookie home yeah. run record that year
2: yeah, the th- thank you, Rob, for keeping the juice ball around when <laughs> I was going to say twenty nineteen dollars can for dingers for was going. September,
0: you know he's balls? got a,
2: like boxes and boxes of them. Like the yeah. juice balls are in a warehouse somewhere. Can we maybe just like get access to that just for for charity?
0: Just for ter- for a good cause. More dingers, please. Juice juice the ball. Juice those balls right back on up.
2: <laughs> Allison McCabe, thank you so much.
0: Thank you guys. Appreciate it. You keep running for another place To find that saving grace
2: Okay, thank you to Allison. Like I said, link's in the description for where you can go, find out more, sign up, donate, all that good stuff. We're going to go to our conversation with Eugene Friedman in just a minute, but I wanted to talk with you first, Alex. What's up? What's up? Where is your head at on unionizing the minor leagues? How are you feeling? It's, uh, we're recording this a week. Since we found the news out, I guess there's a possibility that the exact same thing happens to us that happened last Sunday night where we find out some huge fucking news after we have the entire podcast edited and scheduled. But other than that possibility, how are
3: you feeling? I'm feeling good now that the dust has settled a little bit and I've been able to get my my thoughts in order. Uh, I th- I think talking with you last week really helped me kind of collect my my thoughts and I really appreciated our conversation with... Eugene, that you all will, will hear in a minute, because I think it gave context to a lot of the the news that's come out and also maybe assuaged some of my concerns that I, I maybe have had around the unionization process, which is going to be a long one for sure. But I'm feeling relatively optimistic about their ability to get this done, in part due to the fact that they're They're doing it, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like, as we said, it would be a massive undertaking for them to do this without some sort of confidence that they have the votes that, that they need to at least get the formal vote for a for a union. Right. So, like, I'm feeling good. I'm cautiously optimistic.
2: Yeah. So as we sit here to record this, it's September 4th, Sunday. Tomorrow is Labor Day. Eugene sort of alluded he he made a little hint and and maybe by the time people are even listening to this there will be some sort of announcement I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say that I think on Labor Day they might come out and be like we have the 30 percent union cards we're filing with the NLRB I'm
3: getting giddy just thinking about it
2: <laughs> there's something coming we've heard uh, you know whispers from enough people that there's going to be some kind of announcement on Labor Day so I guess we're the we're the bum sitting here recording this podcast before we know what that announcement is. But of course, if it's big enough, we'll either do another emergency podcast or we'll just talk about it on next week's episode. Because uh, none of this is going away, as we'll, as we'll talk about with Eugene, the get into the nitty-gritty of the process and the next steps and what those timelines sort of look like. Um, I don't know. The, the one thing that we haven't really discussed and didn't... I guess we got into a little bit with Eugene, but the one thing that we haven't discussed is Major League Baseball's deafening silence on all of this. Mm-hmm which the fact that they didn't have some sanded down PR statement ready to release to the public is a little bit surprising to me. Like, I don't know if it necessarily means that they were caught off guard by this news or if this is part of their strategy to wait and respond until the minor leaguers have demonstrated their support and filed their election. But I'm a little bit surprised that they're not getting more out ahead of this. And I guess if I'm reading it optimistically, I think that that sort of means that they're a little bit on their back foot.
3: Yeah, and I, like you said, we we get into this a little bit with Eugene and kind of what might be stoking MLB's tendency to keep quiet and why that me- might be a part of a strategy for them. But I do think we're in to play, like neither of us are under the illusion that Major League Baseball will most likely voluntarily recognize the the union. Rob Manfred is no friend to organized labor. And so maybe it's not super surprising that they're just going to kind of let this thing play out, which is not to say that I think they're not doing anything, right? I think they've they've likely already started organizing their campaign against unionization internally. But it doesn't really behoove them to say anything publicly right now right because there's nothing that would make them look very good outside of saying yes we support this which doesn't feel, but that doesn't never feel very
2: before is what's so funny like that's never stopped them from going out there and shooting themselves in the foot before especially with regards to labor issues like, yeah there was nothing that was going to make them look good in the pandemic trying to shorten the season and pay the players as little as possible, but it seemed like Rob Manfred was
3: doing Q and A's every fucking week. If you can remember that time. No, you're right. I think that this situation is just a little more hairy for them. Right. And a little more fragile because they're bound by, by labor laws. Right. And, and, and the unknown. Exactly. But you're right that it's kind of, kind of funny that all of a sudden they've wised up. All right. Well,
2: we're gonna get we're gonna talk about this a ton with Eugene, so why don't we just go straight to that conversation?
0: Just hold your own rope and raise your own babies smoke your own smoke
3: and grow All right, Bobby. Your we are back babies. now joined by a guest who uh it's been a long time coming we've uh we've been trying to make this happen for a while and now feels like uh the most fitting time we could possibly make it happen it's eugene friedman he's the he's the counsel to the uh president of the uh National Air Traffic Controllers Association he is a union lawyer and uh and a bit of a celebrity on uh on baseball labor Twitter <laughs> Eugene how's it going
1: good good i don't think i've ever uh been called a celebrity before uh, my my brother calls me media darling
2: <laughs> well there's a few of us in this corner of baseball labor Twitter you know that anytime anything happens we're all doing our threads you know, we're we're talking about the same right. topics and you're one of those people.
1: Absolutely.
2: You're one of those people for sure. And this is a podcast centered around baseball and labor. So a celebrity amongst our listeners, I'm sure. They know they know your work.
3: We uh Thank you. We obviously have you here to talk about the the recent news about minor league unionization. Um and you know, we have some questions about kind of the mechanics of this and what you expect to see in the coming weeks and months, but but first I think we just wanted to get your take on on did you think that this would happen, either now or in the in the near future? Because it's it's obviously been a long time coming, but it never quite seemed that the conditions were, were ripe enough or that the political will was there on the part of the players association. So what was your what was your kind of instant reaction to hearing about this news?
1: So um Couple things uh, to preface this. Um, first, I think uh, the advocates for minor leaguers have been really laying the groundwork for many years. Um, they've been uh, doing a great job of highlighting the atrocious working conditions, uh, as well as the significantly below market wages that minor league players receive. Um, and I think the 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 real. Um, I don't. I wouldn't call it icing on the cake because it's not a positive thing. Uh, maybe the straw that broke the camel's back was uh, when uh, Major League Baseball lobbied Congress to include in its um, uh, appropriations bill a number of years ago it was an omnibus appropriations bill, uh, and and kind of in the last minute in the conference between the House and the Senate, they included uh, language that that basically exempted minor leagues from. Uh, the Fair Labor Standards Act, which provides for minimum wage, it provides for uh, overtime pay uh, in excess of forty hours in a work week, uh, and and child labor protections, which really don't apply here. But but you know when when basically Congress said, uh, and I believe that most people in Congress did not realize this when when they passed the appropriations bill. Um, you don't have to pay these players anything. Um, <laughs> uh, I think that's good. that thank, really, thank you
2: Congress for not even realizing that much appreciated guys.
1: Yes. Yes. So, um, I think that's really when, um, you know, things, things heated up, um, cause that's, that took the legs out of a, a long ongoing lawsuit over uh minimum wage and overtime, uh, that, that the uh, minor league players had filed, um, as a collective action, um, and I don't want to get into the specifics of a collective action versus a class action, but, uh, in FLSA, it's a, it's a collective action. Um, but, um, you know, so I think all of that groundwork was, was kind of laid already. Um, and the minor league players started to, um, I think band together themselves. Um, but you know, I've, I've been to a lot of AFL CIO meetings, um, that's the um uh federation that uh, much of organized labor participates in not not every union does and uh, uh and there have been some discussions recently at the last convention in Philadelphia that that happened in June uh, there was a uh AFL-CIO sports council that was established uh, with the NFLPA with um Uh, The uh, women's professional soccer league players who had just joined the AFL-CIO, the national uh, women's soccer team uh, also recently joined the AFL-CIO. And so there there has been a lot of ongoing uh, discussions in sports about improving working conditions, particularly in those sports uh, where there are uh, lower wages, uh, women's soccer being one of them. Um, uh, equity issues. Uh, so th- those things are being highlighted, not just in baseball. So I think that the time is right. I mean, you, you probably saw the, the recent um, survey results that said that um, 63% or maybe it was 73%, I can't remember the exact figure, but uh, of Americans support unions. Uh, and that's the highest number in uh, at least five decades. Uh, so that that's really kind of in the background here um and i had heard some things uh that were going on just in labor circles about uh the the framework of potential organizing uh and um just as an example uh my my brother uh works for the teamsters union uh he told me that several former employees of the teamsters had had started uh working uh for an organization they couldn't say who, uh, but, uh, what, who was, uh, out there laying the groundwork to collect authorization cards, uh, for minor league players. So, so I kind of knew that, that these things were going on. Um, so I wasn't terribly surprised, uh, but I may have been one of the very few who wasn't surprised. Yeah. Um, and I, and I really couldn't, break the news because it wasn't my news to break. Uh, I'll be honest, I know some other things that are that are on the uh, near term horizon that I can't share because I've been told that they are a confidential close hold. Uh, but, um, you know, I would expect more news uh, in the very near future.
2: Wow, yeah. a tease. Okay. Some, some tantalizing
3: <laughs> right there by Eugene. I mean, so... I mean you 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 tweeted right right before the the news broke basically that tomorrow's gonna feel like Christmas for a lot of people and indeed it did you were right yes, about that
1: yes yes so yeah th- that's what I was alluding to it was another thing I couldn't I, you know announce it it wasn't my news to announce but yeah. but I did know about it and I knew that that the the campaign was gonna to begin in earnest um you know so I so I did want to just put it out there that you know, something exciting was percolating in the background.
2: Eugene, what do you make of the, um, the structure of this? Like how it's unfolding with the minor leaguers um, potentially joining the Major League Baseball Players Association, whether they'll, of course, be in separate bargaining units. Um, they'll have their own CBA and everything. But it wasn't always guaranteed that this would be the structure that it would take. Now, we had a, a union push for minor league hockey players a few years back. They're not part of the same union that the NHL players are a part of. Um, the G League Union in uh, basketball was supported by the NBA Players Association or the the NBPA. I always me- mess that up, the National Basketball Players Association. But they're not formally in that union, I don't believe. So there's been a couple different models that they could have followed. Um, why do you think it it did end up being authorizing the MLBPA to represent them um, in collective bargaining?
1: So I think a couple things are a factor. One is uh, MLBPA has been very successful in negotiating with major league management. Um, I think also the fact that um, minor league baseball was brought under the one baseball umbrella and major league baseball now controls the minor leagues, um, you know, from top to bottom. I think that was a, a, another key factor. So it is essentially the same employer. Um, and then um, I think also this campaign is going to take a lot of money. Um, it is a national campaign. There are a significant number of employees. Uh, there are, the, the employees are spread out across the entirety of the country, uh, mm-hmm. which makes it very difficult to engage in direct communication. Um, you know, a lot of the time organizing is done, you know, right outside the the plant uh, parking lot. Um, and, you know, in this case, that's very difficult. But there are baseball teams in 30 cities. Um, they all have communication networks to their minor leagues. Uh, players get sent down on rehab assignments uh, from the the, bargaining unit in the, in the major leagues. Um, and they've all been in the minor leagues, right? So, yeah. you know, in, it's a really other important sports, part Right. You know, in, in, other sports you might skip the minor leagues, uh, particularly in basketball, uh, you may never play in a developmental league at all. Uh, but in baseball almost everybody does. I mean, there have been a couple of players, particularly pitchers, I think, uh, crochet was the last one to skip the the miners entirely uh I'm trying to think if there was anyone between him and john older there may not have been but i so mean like you know Otani
2: came over and he was technically in the miners briefly because they had signed him on a you know a prospect deal mike, or whatever
3: but mike leak is the one that comes to mind for me with who i think with the with the reds maybe or the mariners Jumped, now just, jump now we're just jumping now we're just remembering some guys
1: <laughs> Yeah, yeah yeah so, I, I think Alderwood was the, the, the biggest one, you know, yeah. in terms of like uh, making a splash when, that I remember. But be that as it may, like everybody's been through the minor leagues. Mm-hmm. They, they've also been there on rehab assignments, they know the players. I think, particularly, uh, it's important in this organizing drive uh, that uh, Major League Baseball has such strong ties. Uh, national ties uh, between players. Um, You know, Venezuelan players uh, stay together in the offseason, whether they're in the minors or majors. They, they, Cabrera and Altuve kind of mentor them all. Uh, You have the same thing with players from Puerto Rico. You have the same thing with players from the Dominican. And I think that those ties are going to be really critical here. And, you know, if another union... um, let's say, the the Labor's International Union, LIUNA, um, decided to organize the minor leagues, um, they would not have that same connection to the players that uh, the Major League Baseball players do. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's really critical. I think it's really helpful. Um, and, you know, I anticipate that that because it's such a high-profile campaign, they'll probably get some help uh, it won't just be major league baseball players association doing the organizing i think they'll they'll get some additional help uh, in the organizing process
3: obviously the the season is winding down both for the the major leagues and the minor leagues. Can you talk about um the any potential challenges that might pose to this organization uh, uh, effort i know i know you've you tweeted a little bit about how their seasonal workers status, um, you know, makes it maybe slightly more difficult for MLBPA to, to keep their arms wrapped around everybody. Right. Cause they're changing teams or they're, or they're graduating from the minor leaguers or they're not going to see a minor league stadium for three or six months or whatever. So can you talk a little bit about what the PA might be kind of having to face as these seasons wind down?
1: Yeah so there there are a number of complications uh both in terms of the the logistical organizing uh but then also in terms of the legal organizing. Uh and I'll try to separate them and I'll first you know you named some of the logistical things right um the the teams uh in the minors usually end right around now and then go into the playoffs they they were pushed back Uh, For the start of their season this year, so uh, their their seasons, their regular season will continue for a little bit longer, Um, but you know they are wrapping up, Um, and so that makes it complicated. From a legal perspective, it's complicated because the union has to, uh, you know, it put out these authorization cards. Uh, They have to be signed by uh, at least thirty percent of the proposed bargaining unit. Uh, for submission to the NLRB uh, as evidence uh, of a showing of interest, um, you know, normally uh, you want that within a pretty tight window of time. Uh, you don't want that spread out over a, a very long period of time, especially if some of the people. Uh, Some of the employees are no longer in the proposed bargaining unit by the time you submit the cards. Um, Most most unions also seek to have significantly more than 50 percent of the cards um, because there will be an anti-union campaign in almost all cases, and you will lose some support uh, to that anti-union campaign. Um, but in this particular case, you have uh, employees who may not be tendered new contracts right away. Um, you know they they may not be necessarily employees in the off season until they get their next contract offered to them. Uh, let's say they're in low A right now, and the team has control if it if it wants it uh, until those players uh, become eligible for the Rule Five draft. Right, so. And it, I think it varies a little bit by age, um, you know, when they qualify for that. But it, it's basically five or six years of minor league control, uh, as far as I remember. Um, but teams don't necessarily resign or offer a contract to every player that they had the previous year. Um, you know, some people are weeded out. Uh, some people become minor league free agents and move teams, but they might not get picked up until... Uh, spring training the next year. Um, And so, you know, I think that unless the player is a high draft pick, um, they may not have their contract tendered to them uh, until the spring. And so there'll be a question, at least, whether they're employees right now, if the union does file um, its petition with the NLRB in the offseason if it waits until the spring, it'll much, you know, be in a much better place to say, yes, these are all employees of minor league baseball. Um, you know, there are also, you know, a bunch of other questions I have um, and I actually hope to get some of them answered uh, <laughs> in, in, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, but I don't know if they're, they're going to tell me until they, they file uh, their petition but you know, one thing I'm I'm concerned about is Major League Baseball potentially saying that, for example, rookie league doesn't fit within the the an appropriate bargaining unit. Mm-hmm. Uh, that their conditions of employment are significantly different because they play a short season, because they're all based in the same essentially one location, very little travel involved. Um, that that it's it's significantly different. Uh, conditions of employment, and therefore, uh, they, they should not be in the same bargaining unit with low A through AAA. Um, you know, we'll see what, what major, uh, the Players Association petitions for and whether uh, Major League Baseball uh, seeks to clarify the unit or challenge the, the bargaining unit definition. Um, many employers do challenge the bargaining unit definition uh just to slow down the organizing drive. And yep. that I wouldn't put that past Major League Baseball um, <laughs> because, you know, Rob Manford is not a friend of organized labor. Uh, so he very likely will say, put up all the roadblocks you can. And one of them is to say, not an appropriate unit, require a hearing, you know, have the regional director make a decision, maybe challenge that decision to the board. I mean, there there are a lot of potential hurdles along the way. Now, if if the players' association gets seventy five percent, eighty percent of of the cards signed, I mean, they're going to ask for for voluntary recognition. Yeah, and you know they should get it, but that doesn't mean that they'll get it. I mean, more likely than not, Major League Baseball, who hasn't put out any statement at all right now, uh, probably because they don't want to commit a UOP, but. Um, you know, once there is a, um, and for listeners, that's an unfair labor practice. Uh, yeah. But it, the, uh, you know, when they when they do file the petition, uh, I expect Major League Baseball, or or they may even wait until the regional director orders an election. I expect the 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 Major League Baseball statement to go something like, um, you know, we support the the process. Um, and you know, we'll, we'll wait and see to what the results of the election are before we make a comment. Yeah. Um, I don't think they're actually going to weigh in publicly, even though they weigh, may weigh in privately, uh, with the players in whether they're captive audience meetings or, or other workplace discussions.
2: Now you brought up ULPs. We live in sort of a golden era of unfair labor practices taking place in broad daylight. Uh, whether that be Starbucks or Amazon or smaller places. Um, I When this news breaks, of course, you have a lot of people saying things like, what is Major League Baseball going to do? How scorched earth are they going to go? What are they going to try to do to really beat back this union effort? And, um, you know, retaliatory practices are legal for organizing, but there are certain things that Major League Baseball could do and, and kind of like try to guise underneath. Well, this is just us cutting a player or this is just us making a business decision about shutting down a team that has certain support or promoting people out and spreading out the support across so that there's not these sort of collections of minor leaguers who are starting to band together with this union effort obviously it's impossible to predict exactly what major league baseball will do but do you suspect that there will be some of that stuff kind of going on behind closed doors and if so it becomes so unwieldy because there are so many different minor league affiliates in so many different places to be able to fire you to be able to file a ULP for all of these different individual cases. It seems like a 10 year long process. So I'm curious what you think about how messy this will actually get in practice.
1: Well, I think, you know, there, there's a lot of little pieces to that question, but, um, you know, I think the primary thing to focus on is the statement that the players association put out to, directly to the, the players that they're organizing. One is that they're going to keep the cards confidential. Mm-hmm. They're going to share them confidentially with the NLRB. Um, and that management doesn't get to see those cards. So they, unless there are member organizers, uh, and in this case, there might not be vocal member organizers. There may be external organizers and, and major league player organizers. Um, you know, if, if there are not, you know, member organizers, then they're all protected, right? Their their confidentiality is protected. Um, additionally, um, you know, they the Players Association said that when they seek or if they seek voluntary recognition, they will use a third-party verifier um, to maintain the confidentiality, uh, so they don't intend to show management ever uh, until they are certified uh, who their who their supporters are. Um, so I think that's really important here. Yeah. I think additionally, um, you know, like you said, there are some complications, right? But. The general managers uh, of the 30 clubs also have a a bit of a say here, and so do the 30 individual owners. You know, if Major League Baseball wants to blackball a a particular player, but the team sees value in that player, they're not going to necessarily go along with Major League Baseball. So Mm -hmm. I think it would be very difficult, especially because they have such a long developmental cycle on some of these players. Um, and you know, if somebody was, um, let's say, um, holiday, uh, or, uh, um, or, uh, who the number one, uh, Zach holiday, uh, the number one pick. Yeah. If, if he decided to be vocal, the Orioles aren't going to do anything about that. Right. <laughs> They're going to, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's already moving through their system. Um, you know, I expect Next year, he may start at high A. Um, you know, they're not, you know, if he, if he's organizing his roster, they're not going to say, oh, let's cut him. They just gave him $8 million, right? They're going to want to see value in that. And and they're going to see him as one of the top prospects in their organization, especially now that they, they brought up uh, um, Gunnar Henderson today or yeah, two days ago. So, yeah. you know. There, teams like that are just not going to make decisions that are detrimental to their own interests. Um, so I think there's there's a bit of a push and a pull there. Um, and I think Major League Baseball doesn't have the same control because they're a multi-employer bargaining unit uh, that they would if uh, they had full control over all 30 roster, uh team rosters yeah and and then their their minor league systems.
3: I know there's been some concern uh that major league baseball could do what they did just a couple short years ago, which is eliminate some minor league teams um as a result of this as a result or as a you know an effort to kind of throw disarray into um into the whole organizing process um as a way to potentially deter the the support Do you see that as a distinct? possibility i know there was some some language that was negotiated over in the in the cba where the players association said we don't want to give you the the ability to eliminate more roster spots but are there are there avenues through which major league baseball could say hey you know we need to make this business decision x y and z these you know the the Trash Pandas are now are now contracted. They're now an independent league team. Like, do you see that as something that's that's a possibility in the coming, I guess, months?
1: So, you know, in the last contraction of the minor leagues, they they made it so that every team has the exact same number of affiliates. Mm-hmm. Uh, before that, some franchises um, had more high A affiliates or low A affiliates or. I don't think anyone had an additional AAA affiliates, but they may have had more, you know, in, in that rookie ball through through high A category. I think the Yankees in particular had a number of extra A ball teams compared to other teams. And so, you know, if they were to eliminate, they would have to do it, you know, league by league um and you know maybe they would consolidate low a and high a or eliminate they there are two rookie ball leagues so maybe they'd eliminate one of them i don't know that that would make sense to them just because in terms of the rookie ball leagues because you know they have enough draftees that they they need two leagues for them um but and they did reduce the draft but there's still enough players uh, including unsigned uh, uh, free agents uh, or undrafted free agents, where they where they like to have two rookie ball leagues, uh, but you know if they were to do that in the midst of an organizing drive, I think that would constitute at least the basis for filing an unfair labor practice charge, um, yeah. and I think it would likely lead to to the general counsel through a regional director issuing an unfair labor practice complaint. Um, Jennifer Abruzzo, uh, who is the general counsel of the national labor relations board now, um, uh, has been very aggressive in pursuing unfair labor practices, um, and has, uh, asked for 10 J remedies, which I don't want to go into too much detail, but it basically asks for an injunction, uh, against the employer when they're committing, um, violations of the act that are so severe that they're you know, there may be irreparable harm. Um, elimination of, you know, 30 teams, uh, you know, in this case, I think she would seek an injunction against Major League Baseball doing that.
2: Eugene, I'm curious, can you compare this or could you think of any comparison to a a, a union effort, like, in the wider American labor movement that this resembles? Because it's so, it's so weird because the MLBPA is such a specific union for such a specific sector. Uh, minor league baseball is so different than most union drives because it's happening in so many different, disparate, spread out places. It's part of the reason that it took so long to get to this point. But for the most part, like when you are making a union push, when you're trying to get people to sign these cards, when you're going to an election with the NLRB, it's it's one employer in one place joining onto a larger union, becoming a shop within a larger union. That's what happened with me and my colleagues at the Ringer. That's what happens. In most places at most employers, this is so different. So I'm curious, you know, widening the scope a little bit. Does this remind you of anything from either recent or, or past labor history that you can think of?
1: So I think probably one of the better analogies is, and and because it's a national unit with a lot of different locations, I think the, the best example are the airlines um, and Right now, and actually for the third time in probably 15 years, uh, the Association of Flight Attendants is organizing the Delta flight attendants. Um, AFA has um, unfortunately lost two elections. One was shortly after the uh, merger with Northwest Airlines. Northwest had been uh, union; they they were affiliated with AFA. Uh, Delta was ununionized. Un- uh, but they were the larger company and so there were uh and the larger uh group of employees. So there was no argument for successorship. Um, and so they they mounted an organizing drive and they came up just short. A few years after that, they they began organizing them again and, and again they fell just short. Um in this more positive union environment, uh, with a positive union president and an it, under, they're under the Railway Labor Act, so it's the National Mediation Board as opposed to the National Labor Relations Board. But, um, you know, a, a favorable NMB. Um, I think it's it's uh, more likely now that they will uh, win their election uh, when, once they move forward with it. The National Mediation uh, Board and the Railway Labor Act have slightly different rules for elections. Under the National Labor Relations Act, you, you vote vote. Um, by uh it, it's a majority of ballots cast but under the railway labor act it's a mo- majority of the unit yeah, so it's not just the ballots cast you, you know people who don't show up to vote count as a no vote um so from that perspective it's it's somewhat different uh but because you know delta has so many bases across the country um you know mo- many people are 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 based in atlanta minneapolis detroit or or salt lake city but you know there there are flight attendants you know based at almost every airport across the country so this this effort to organize is to an extent very similar um because you've got small groups of employees spread out all across the country and you've got people who are already members of those unions also you know somewhat close or affiliated with them. And, uh, you know, you have United Flight Attendants and you have um, a lot of the smaller carriers uh, that are represented by AFA. And, you know, they're at the same basis. So they're going to be organizing uh, their brothers and sisters at Delta. And Delta is a huge company. I mean, it's one of the largest, if not the largest, airline. Um, they they are already represent their pilots are already represented. Um, so you know, it's it it to to an extent, it, it's similar to Major League Baseball in that some of the employees are represented, but not this this large group. Um, yeah. It's not unprecedented. Uh, so I yeah. don't think it, it would be. Uh, you know, it's, it's not too much of a, uh, administrative task for the NLRB, uh, general counsel's office to pull off an election. So I,
3: we, we want to let you go here cause you've, you've been really generous with your time, but I'm curious just what's, what's next in your, uh, in your mind. I, do we sit and wait for the results to come in? How are you feeling about this all? Are you feeling optimistic about, about their chances?
1: I, uh, yeah, I'm very optimistic. Um, I I think, you know, before we get to uh, wait for the votes to come in, I mean, we're going to know when the Players Association petitions for an election. Uh, They're going to make an announcement. They're going to say with... 85% of cards signed, we went to Major League Baseball and asked for voluntary recognition. They declined. And so today we have filed a petition with the NLRB and we're asking for an expedited election. I think you know you're gonna you're gonna see a statement like that. That'll be the next news. Um, and you know, there may be interim news saying things are going well, we're getting a lot of cards signed, but it's not gonna be, you know, process news. Uh, but when they make the announcement that they've filed. The petition, that'll be the next news. And then we'll have to wait for the regional director to issue an election order um, and and see if Major League Baseball puts any of those legal hurdles in the way.
2: I'm I'm optimistic just because this is such a huge step for the MLBPA in terms of like reaching down to its most, you know, battered down workers, like in a way that they haven't been able to do in like the last couple of decades. You know, I think one of the criticisms that, that gets levied against union like MOBPA is how involved are you in the wider American labor movement and just this process at all organizing the minor leaguers who are being left out you know politically and in their workplace intentionally and being paid below minimum wage is such a I think it's a cool it's a really cool move so I'm I'm pretty excited about all this
1: yeah absolutely and you know just from from that um talking point um, and I know it's not true, but the talking point in the in the management-centered media, millionaires versus billionaires, when someone's making 4000 dollars a year to play rookie ball, it'd take a few years to get to a million. million. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it takes a yeah, a really long time to get there. I mean, even if you're making thirty thousand dollars for six months playing uh in triple A, you're not a millionaire. You're not even making, you know average wages, uh, where you're barely making poverty wages if you have a family of four. So, you know, most of these players are below the poverty line and it's important to remember that. And it's important to remember that, you know, everybody deserves rights in the workplace and this is a, a big step to gaining them.
3: Eugene Friedman. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, do you want to just tell people where they can, uh, find your, your tweets, find your, your writing, any work that you're doing?
1: Sure. So yeah, um, my, my Twitter handle is at Eugene Friedman. Uh, it's F R E E D M A N. So there's two E's as opposed to uh, the alternate spelling of Friedman. Um, and, um, you know, most of my other writing is for my union, NACA. Uh, so you probably don't see that often, but periodically I will pop up on baseball prospectus or fan graphs. Uh, uh, and I've got a a, a number of things uh, published at uh, both sites over the years. So uh, you can take a look at it. It's probably not timely, but it uh, can help you kind of dive into some labor history in baseball. Eugene, thanks so much. Yo. I hate my boss, Do think he
3: know it all? And I know I know it all, but I follow protocol. Fast, hope, okay, thank you to
2: Eugene. Thank you again and to Allison and Cake. Seven, eight, thank you to the five members of our Alex Rodriguez VIP Club tier that we shout out at the end of every episode. There's so many of you. We shout out five of you at the end of every episode as a token of our appreciation. Those five members are Connor, Jacob, Becca, JT, and Kieran. Alex, we still have plenty of merch available for people could argue an unlimited amount of merch available for people over at our website tippingpitches.myshopify.com if you don't want to type all of that stuff out it's just tiny.cc slash nationalize um you were not with me at the new york mets game yesterday thankfully for your own saturday wow, night okay for your own sake <laughs> although we had great seats this was a fun time to be at the ballpark in- until about the ninth inning well, until about the fifth inning when Max Scherzer came out with right. no explanation. That was, that's was, when the dark clouds gathered. It's not where, it's not when you want to be at the game when you have no context for why the pitcher who always goes seven is out after five and 67 pitches. Yeah, his shortest start of the year. Fingers crossed for Max's left side fatigue. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you were it's not with unsame. me at the game.
3: It's so, so same. I'm always saying Max. this. Yeah, I'm always it's saying this. My left side, my right side, my top side. Uh, you were not with me at this game
2: when uh, a gentleman was wearing a unionized the miners Mets colors on the jumbotron. On the jumbotron, a gigantic shout out to Wallflower Power on Twitter, who responded and said, "Glad y'all liked that. What a time to be alive! Being at a Mets game, what seeing a time. our shirts on the jumbotron—a real silver lining moment. There, you could be like that person if you go to our website and buy your own buy your own tipping pitches merch." everybody's doing it all the cool kids
3: are doing it we also have a patreon some of you may be aware of this but that's a great way to get more uh more content from us more occasionally delinquent newsletters from us Uh, yes yes so
2: sorry (laughs) you know we just missed we just dropped the ball we just missed a newsletter cycle and to make up for it we're
3: sending two straight yeah but we hope you guys have been uh enjoying the ones as of late uh, again, you can get access to that, uh, at the, at the top tier of our Patreon or Alex Rodriguez tier, um, which comes along with Q and A's, obviously access to the Slack, other fun opportunities, but there are three tiers for you. If, uh, if you don't want to sign up at that highest level, go check it out, patreon.com slash tipping pitches. What'd you think of the newsletter? You like my idea? I loved it. I've never watched industry, but I'm, uh, yes, absolutely. I was you already have- thinking of the ways that, that we could get Aaron Sorkin signed on to do a... No
2: way. Hold on. <laughs> slow down. Okay, Adam Adam McKay? That's, that would be fun. I, I, yeah. could, I could stomach Adam McKay, despite his annoying online tendencies. We can all just kind of ignore yeah. that and allow him to EP. Mm-hmm. You know, Adam McKay did EP Succession as well, which I know is one of your right. favorite shows. You know, we've, yes. we've never lived in the same city when Succession put a new season out. Have you thought about wow. the possibility of us watching Succession on Sunday nights together? A,
3: a live watch? Oh my god!
2: A li- Whoa! Live watch? Hold on, slow your roll. We haven't added a fourth, a fourth tier of our Patreon.
3: <laughs> oh, well, I meant, I meant live <laughs> for you and I, oh, live together. We can do a, can do a watch a lunch. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: yeah, I. That just occurred to me for the first time. But anyway, the people who don't have the newsletter don't know what we're talking about. And that's, why <laughs> <laughs> that's why they should sign up for tipping pitches. That's why they should sign up for patreon.com slash tipping pitches. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll be back
1: next week. Hello,
2: everybody. Uh, I'm Alex Rodriguez. Tipping pitches. Tipping pitches. This is the one that I love the most. Tipping pitches. Pitches. So we'll see you next week.
1: See ya!